Hello and welcome to another edition of the Ulster Rugby Roundup. I am not Gareth Hanna, but instead Jonathan Bradley. Yes, after our host extraordinaire forewarned you of his absence last week, only to turn up anyway, he has lulled you into a full sense of security this time around and left you with me instead. Thankfully, our ranks have been bolstered by Michael Sadler. Hello, Michael. Oh, hello there. Good to be back. And Adam McKendry. Adam, nice to have you with us again. Good morning, gents. How are we? So, after last coming together a week ago to speak about a team in green ripping it up at the Aviva Stadium, here we are on the cusp of Ireland's autumn slate to hopefully preview the same. A proper autumn, as it were, where the big question is, Michael, how much will you miss last year's Autumn Nations Cup? Terribly, but not as much as I'm going to miss the Rainbow Cup, though. (laughs) Well, leaving all those competitions that are best forgotten aside... I think personally we have an exciting slate of autumn fixtures. Japan obviously first up, one of the better rugby playing sides in the world at the minute, certainly one of the better sides to watch. The big one in many people's eyes of New Zealand in two weeks time and then finishing up with Argentina, who nobody needs reminding have proved fairly obdurate opponents in the past. But what has struck me as interesting over the past week or so is Ireland's willingness, both Johnny Sexton and Andy Farrell, to frame this autumn as really the beginning of the preparations for France 2023. Now, for a side who have in the past never agreed to look past the next day's training session, let alone the next match, what have we thought, Michael, of the way that Ireland have spoken about the World Cup in the build-up to this uh, Autumn Nations? Yeah, well, as you as you said, it's a bit of a, I suppose it's a bit of a departure, isn't it? Um, I mean, they have to be thinking about it, but it's one of those, it was, it was one of those unsaid things, wasn't it? But, you know, I suppose you've, you've, you've got to give Andy Farrell some credit for the candour in which he's, he's laid it on the line in this regard. Because you're right, it wouldn't normally be talked about like this. But perhaps this is another um, way of framing his time in charge that is going to be a little bit different in its approach, um, both perhaps inwardly and, and indeed outwardly uh, when dealing uh, with the public and making such statements. You wouldn't have got Joe Schmitz or anything like that, I wouldn't have thought. But um, it, it is, he's absolutely right, it is what it is. And even if he hadn't said it, we would all be talking about it because we're into that, that area now where you are thinking about it. It's not just constantly in the background. It's coming a little bit further forward, albeit with each game, it comes a little bit further forward. Um, so, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I think what he's done is, is just get it out there, if you like, put it out there that this is what we're doing, that we all know he's doing it anyway. And there is a lot of work. <clears throat> there is work to be done, of course. We're still having the same conversations, though, and we will undoubtedly have shortly about things like, ooh, halfback and, well, how many Ulster players are we going to get in this time sort of thing. Those sort of conversations don't change, but I think it is very interesting and instructive that he's come out first up and said, we're thinking about this now, and uh, what? why not dream about where we can go? Well, I suppose one reason not to, not to dare to dream, as Andy Farrell put it, would be the fact that no matter what you do in the pools, 
in a pool with the world champions South Africa. You're going to have to play New Zealand or France in a quarterfinal unless something absolutely shocking happens. Adam, do you think there is a danger in devoting so much of your resources in terms of test matches towards a tournament that looks so foreboding in the two years in the future, especially bearing in mind that this time in the last World Cup cycle, so 2017, building up into 2019, South Africa were a shambles and then went on to win the tournament in Japan? Well, to me, it is the logical thing to say to focus on the World Cup because Ireland are probably the biggest nation not to make it through the quarterfinals in their history. So for me, this is the right thing to do. Um, but as you say, form right now is nowhere or is in no way an indicator of what might happen in the World Cup. So you do have to strike a balance of looking at what your team potentially is going to be. Like I would imagine Andy Farrell and his coaching staff have probably sat down and looked at these are the guys that we want to be our first choice 15 with a few guys who are sprinkled around that that you can rotate in and out as needs be. Um, so then it's all about looking at how you optimize that team and how you get those guys to the right place. And it's different for each player. You know, Johnny Sexton is not going to need every single Iron game between now and the World Cup to know that he's going to be your fly half. But in a position like Hooker, where you're maybe looking at Ronan Callagher taking over and becoming your first choice Hooker ahead of Rob Herring, well, maybe you need to make a transition at some point. Maybe you need to make a transition now. I, I think it, it all depends on how Farrell wants to use these windows. If he wants to use these all these windows solely as preparation for the World Cup, then I think you're looking at quite a few changes in the team and in the squad. But if you're also looking to build a bit of confidence, which, as we say, is not necessarily something that you need, as South Africa have proven, then, um, but if he does decide that that's what he wants, then you maybe stick with the tried and tested and you back them to get the results that you need against the All Blacks, against Argentina. Um, so it all depends on how Andy Farrell sees it. But if, as he says, everything's geared towards the World Cup, I'd imagine he's looking with a longer term process in mind rather than short term. Michael, Adam's touching on it there in terms of a few of the different positions that maybe still have question marks around them two years out from the World Cup. With 20 tests to go, starting with Saturdays against Japan until at the very least the wider squad is named for 2023, who do you think stands to benefit most from an approach starting now, looking towards that tournament. I'm thinking about some of those younger guys that maybe in terms of winning you a game today are behind more established figures, but who you figure that with the lion's share of those 20 games under their belts could be a real force come France in 23. Well, that is, of course, accepting the premise that what he's saying is entirely genuine and isn't covering for the fact he might lose all three tests. Then he can say, ah, yes, but I'm building towards the World Cup. Um, I think there are a number of players, sorry, I'm just being a bit pedantic, there are a number of players who could very much benefit from this. Again, we are talking hypothetically here because we're not awfully sure what way he's going to mix and match this. The logical thinking is go strong for Japan, go straight into New Zealand, then do a bit of shifting about for the Argentina game. If, on the other hand, he loses both those games, I'm not sure just 
what he'll do here. Does he want a full three defeats in the Autumn Series heading the Six Nations? No, I don't think he will. But to answer your question in a very long-winded way, I mean, I think, you know, people like Craig Casey have to be given more time. They've got to be given an opportunity to show a bit more what they can do. And in, perhaps in the same light, you could also argue the likes of James Hume as well. Um, you know, to be, to be given that opportunity to build on what he did against the States, Robert Balakoon's in that, in that ballpark as well. We're not sure exactly where they stand, though, in, 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 the, in, in, in Farrell's bigger picture in relation to, to, to pushing through. Casey, we think, is the heir apparent at the moment to Conor Murray. So perhaps, yes, give him more game time. Um, elsewhere, you've got, you know, well, Ronan Kelleher, I mean, Adam was saying he was pushing through. I, I think Ronan Kelleher already has pushed through. Um, I think the, the, the summer July tests showed that he started in both of them. Um, so he's probably already there, I would think. Um, but, you know, um, people like Ryan Baird, you know, give him, give him a shot. There, there, there are, as I say, a number of these guys coming through who, you know, Gavin Coombs is another one. You've got to hope that they will be given some form of significant game time over the course of this autumn, if indeed it is true that he's thinking, you know, perhaps more proactively about the World Cup and thinking about who's going to make up, you know, key positions within my squad. Just to add to the suggestion of Robert Balakun, I think this is a massive window for him because he's still been named in the squad despite having missed quite a few games through injury, wasn't as heavily involved against Connacht as he would have liked to have been. But in that Ireland back three, there's a lot of indecision in terms of who really are the first choice three. Hugo Keenan seems to have the fullback jersey. Uh, he's made it his own. But with Jacob Stockdale injured and questions over his defence, Andrew Conway's your solid but not overly spectacular uh, player. Keith Earls is the wrong side of 30. This is a chance for Robert Balakun to come in and potentially really nail down one of those jerseys going forward. He might not be able to make it his own in the space of three games, and I imagine he probably won't play all three anyway because he'll want to do a bit of rotation. But there's a chance for him to put in at least two good performances and really put his hand up to say, I could be your guy in 2023. Because as we say, if Farrell is putting all his eggs in the basket in the World Cup, and I think for Farrell as a coach, given that there have been a few questions over his tenure so far, if he can become the first Ireland coach to take them beyond the quarterfinals, I think he'll probably take some sort of cult legend status by the end of it. But if Balakun wants to be that guy in 2023, this is the first chance to really nail his colours to the mast and say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be your guy. And I think, yeah, especially whenever you think about that sort of 2017 autumn window where off the back of a strong summer tour we saw Jacob Stockdale um, come in and as he was just a starter after that you know we saw Andrew Porter come in that summer and be a fixture in the squad moving forward and James Ryan so yeah guys guys like Balakun are probably who I'm thinking of in terms of fellas that are looking to kick on from the summer I suppose but as much as we're talking about looking forward to 2023, with regards to this Japan match at the weekend, we also have, I suppose, the looming threat of the All Blacks. Everyone will have seen what they did to Wales on um, on Saturday evening. Andy Farrell has called them consistently the best team in the world 
last week. I don't know whether that means he thinks they're the best team in the world right now or over a period of time, but regardless. And I wonder how these two things align because one of the things that Wayne Pivak spoke about after the Wales game was that he didn't feel like his squad were ready to match New Zealand's intensity, especially in the last quarter, given that New Zealand had been playing test matches for six months and his side had only been playing the league games, mix and match sides, no European games. Now, that's obviously very similar to Ireland. So the thing that Andy Farrell has to weigh up, I suppose, is how much does he use Japan as an opportunity to look at some guys and how much does he use Japan as an opportunity almost as a warm-up for the New Zealand game so that his team to play New Zealand is more battle-hardened than they're going to be coming into camp. So this was one of the listener questions that we had in from, uh, from Ian Frizzell was, Ireland will most likely go full tilt for Japan this weekend in preparation for New Zealand. Who from the Ulster contingent will realistically be involved in that? So obviously an awful lot of things are maybe different in light of the Connell performance than they would have been had we had this conversation two weeks ago. But if we accept this premise that, as we think they will, Ireland are going to have to use this Japan game to get themselves ready for the week after. How many Ulster players are involved in that? I love a crack first. It'll take a while to go through the squad. <laughs> Realistically, um, not very many, um, I would think. Um, and also, I would think that Farrell has got to use this in some way as a ramp up for New Zealand because Wayne Pivak's absolutely right and Ireland are coming into this in exactly the same in same manner. And if you look at some of the tries where it scored, I mean, they aren't very conceded. There were wonderful tries for the All Blacks, but some of them were extremely soft. Um, like Pabalihi's try from the line out was just embarrassing. It was like a training exercise. Nobody touched him. Um, even Will Jordan's run in when they, they didn't have any chasers and a screen of players coming up towards him. We were, I think, front five players. Hello. You know, so, you know, you could, you could say that, you know, Ireland could very much, very easily find themselves in the same position. As for the Ulster players, to get on to the answer in question. Well, obviously, Ian Henderson, you'd like to think, would make the starting side with James Ryan. You'd like to think. Um, I'd say Rob Herring will be on the bench. And apart from that, could be tricky. I'd like to see Robert Balakun in the side, but I just think that back threes, or the, you know, the, the winger positions where Robert plays far, far too competitive at this stage. And as Adam has rightly pointed out, he just, it's great that he's there, but he just hasn't had enough game time. This is, of course, entirely based on what we've seen when they've actually played live games, not what's been going on in camp, it has to be said. Um, but th- that's what I would think. I, I don't honestly think there will be anybody else. Uh, don't know what you think, Adam. Do you, you squeeze in another one? That's Rob Balakun, very, very fortunate if he gets in the 23 on the bench, I think. Yeah, Balakun would be the other one that I would be thinking would m- maybe hope to start it. <laughs> Again, it, it all depends on if Farrell will give any kind of wiggle room to put one or two guys in, maybe, or if he will just go completely, you know, full tilt, full team in preparation for the All Blacks. The other one that I was thinking was maybe Tom O'Toole will make the bench if they are planning to move Andrew Porter over to Loosehead. Um, so you have Porter, Healy on one side, and you potentially have... Furlong and O'Toole on the other side. Finley Balaam, I know, will, will be pushing onto the bench there potentially as well. But we all know that Farrell quite likes O'Toole. So he might look at O'Toole as that impact player off the bench in the second half. Um, but yeah, I, I can't see anybody else other than that. I mean, it's a real shame that the USA game 
fell through and I think we all sort of saw that coming given the current mm. global situation but that would have been the ideal uh, situation if that had gone ahead because you could sort of mix and match over the two games before the All Blacks so that everyone got a game and you weren't coming in cold um, and then you probably would have seen a lot more Ulster players involved over the two weeks but unfortunately the way it is I think we're probably going to see Herring and Henderson definitely in Balakun, maybe O'Toole, maybe, but that's probably the best you're hoping for. Timoney's not breaking into that back row ahead of the All Blacks game, unfortunately, as good as this his start to the season has been. And I think it would probably take an injury to one of Aki or Ring Rose for uh, James Hume to break in or Stuart McCloskey. While remaining firmly impartial in Gareth's hosting chair, I will push back slightly on both of you here and ask who your starting back three and number 23 are for these games if Robert Balakun isn't involved in this? I think he will go with uh, Keenan Earls and I've just got a sneaking suspicion he's going to put Zebo in at uh, on one of the wings by to the fan pressure that has been building up over the last pretty much over the last three years Um <laughs> 23 is an interesting one, though, because you've you've got to cover for the fact that Aki was hurt against uh, or for the Ulster game, so he hasn't played in a while. Um, and I think if you have Carberry on the bench, you're covering 15, which means Keenan can swap to either of the wings. So it could be a case of you might have one of McCloskey or Hume on the bench, potentially. Um, but... Yeah, I think if, if you have Carberry on the bench, you're covered in the back three because then you can shift Keenan about if needs be. So that would be where I would be leaning towards. Adam, Michael, uh, Michael Adams firmly back on this Simon Zebo hype train. Do you think that is right? Or I suppose more accurately, do you think Andy Farrell will be? Uh, no, I think Zebo might make the 23 because of his versatility, but I don't think he's going to start. I think it's probably going to be Keith Earls and possibly Jordan Larmer um, or possibly James Lowe if he goes really well in training because he probably quite likes him. But I think James, no, that, that, no I'll, I'll withdraw that. That's too, perhaps too dangerous. But he would quite like James Lowe's physicality. Um, that's what I think he'll do. Now, if he's thinking along the lines of having a large physical presence on one wing, he might be very tempted to throw Rob Alicoon in there. Um, I just don't think he's Rob, Rob's played enough. That, that that's the only thing. And you know, Larmer has more, far more experience. Um, I just think if he is going to go with Zebo, I don't. I see him putting Zebo on the bench and, and and bringing him on as an impact player because he can play several positions. I, I but yes, Hugo Keenan, of course, is fifteen, and I would go with Earls, and I would hedge towards Larmer at the moment. That's interesting. We've covered all of our possible back three bases with the exception of the poor often forgotten Andrew Conway so uh, between the two of you there yeah, which is a shame because he is a, he's a tremendous player um, I don't know why we, we keep overlooking him and he can also play several positions so he he actually he could be a very strong candidate for number 23 as well and the heck with Zebo like and the clamour like, you know it feels like Ireland overlook him so much I think it's natural that uh yeah, people predicting the team end up doing it as well because it doesn't really ever seem to matter how well he plays no. game to game in terms of selection for the next week. But like, it, yeah, it he says, was it so says good at the World Cup. 
it says a lot to me that whenever people are talking about the Ireland squad, you know, Matt Hansen being called up yesterday, a lot of people are talking about, will he get capped over? He's just going to be another body in the squad because he's already got what five or six other back three options who were called up ahead of him. So Conway to me is just a guy who you don't really hear a lot about, but he just does everything well. You know, he's never going to let you down, but at the same time, he's not really having that X factor impact in every single game. And I think at international level, you just sort of need that little bit extra. I'm not downplaying the fact that he did have a great world cup, as you say, Michael, but he's just that guy that I think you always come away from a game thinking I've got nothing to criticize you on, but I want a little bit more. Uh, Adam, you were the first, uh, the first to mention Joey Carberry's name in the podcast. So I will throw this one to you. How much of Joey Carberry do you expect to see this November? How important is it that we see more Joey Carberry than in the past? And I suppose on the same theme, how worried are you that what he has shown for Munster since coming back from injury indicates that he's not ready to take on Japan and the All Blacks? I don't think he's going to take on Japan and the All Blacks anyway. I think that's Sexton's gig. And I think the fact that Sexton has been doing so much media certainly suggests that he's going to play both games. Obviously, as as captain, he'd be doing media anyway. But uh, the fact that they're not deflecting any sort of media duties onto anybody else suggests that he's going to be playing both these games. The problem is you are now barreling again towards a World Cup and similar to the last World Cup, you're going into it saying, who is Ireland's fallback option if Johnny Sexton gets injured? Because Ireland are still so reliant on Johnny Sexton that if he wasn't available for the World Cup, you're throwing in somebody whose exposure to the big games on an international level is very limited. So at some point, whenever you're talking about the long term, and that this is where it'll be interesting to see how Farrell approaches sort of the Six Nations and uh, the Autumn Internationals and the Summer Tests moving forward. At some point, you've got to give somebody else games in, in the big games. You know, you can't just keep rolling out Johnny Sexton and then say the World Cup comes around and Sexton's injured. You're suddenly relying on Joey Carberry to step up against the All Blacks. Personally, I would like to see him play more, but I understand that it is a very difficult situation. Again, I think if the USA game had gone ahead, you would have seen Carberry start two and Sexton start two. But under the circumstances, you've if you're starting Sexton against the All Blacks, you got to start Sexton against uh, Japan. And in that regard, it's unfortunate for Carberry, who will probably then start against Argentina. But looking a little bit more long term, yeah, I, I think you got to see Carberry or or somebody. It doesn't necessarily have to be Carberry. I, I think everyone assumes it will be Carberry. And personally, for me, I would like it to be Carberry because I think he is the number two still. I think he does have that um, the most rounded skill set of all the tens playing underneath uh, Sexton. But I think moving forward, you've got to start seeing a sharing of the load here because Sexton is a player who you can drop back into the team at the snap of a finger and he will get back to that elite level that he has proven over the years. But you need to start giving guys experience and Carberry is top of that list because you need somebody there. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Obviously, Saxon is somebody that has bounced back into big games before, having not played an awful lot of Pro 12, Pro 14, Celtic League, whatever it may be, and shown that he can get back up to speed pretty quickly. Now, Michael, as Adam has pointed out there, it doesn't have to be Joey Carberry. So I'll, I'll ask this question as a combination of Joey Carberry and Harry Byrne. As we know, obviously, Billy Byrne's not in the squad this time around. So do you think that Joey Carberry and Harry Byrne will play more than 100 combined minutes over the course of these three games? And do you think that they should play over 100 minutes? Um, I, I, I've picked a completely arbitrary number there to act as my over-under. I will admit that. That's a great question. Of the air. Only if Johnny Sexton breaks down in one of the games, I'd say. Hmm. Um, that's that's what I would say. Um, I think he's he's locked in to playing him at ten if he can. I'm not sure he'll be able to to manage necessarily both tests now at what thirty six or whatever. He'll certainly go out with a plan to do that um, to to play both those tests and probably see out the most of the Japan one just to get some game time back in at that at this level um that leaves you know maybe coming off you know in the old blacks game later on or earlier sorry that, that might be the case particularly if things are going uh, badly but again try getting them off this is a game he'll the captain will want to play in it'll be in theory his 101st test and he doesn't want to come off so uh you may well find that um Neither one of the two others will have an awful lot of game time at all until we get to the the, the Pumas um, test. If Johnny Sexton has his way, now I'm not, I'm I'm suggesting that he will overrule Andy Farrell in regards to what's going to happen, but for sure he will want to play the majority of both those tests. Um, I don't know that that is the right thing to happen because I don't, you know, this is a debate that just keeps seeps to go on and on and it is extremely worrying that they don't have they don't appear to have a particularly viable alternative to him well and all that he's playing um, he really oughtn't to still be you know the main man but here we are still having this conversation in um, you know November 2021 with every indication being that he's going to remain in that position as long as he can stand and, and, and function at test level into the Six Nations if not slightly beyond and I know that Andy Farrell can, must realise this like we all do. It cannot go on like this. So at some point, you're going to have to make a decision about what you're going to do. And it's very, very difficult because Joey Carberry's not been very injured, not playing terribly well. Harry Burns in there, not experienced. Jack Cardy seemingly not wanted. Uh, Billy Burns discarded. It's a real problem. And undoubtedly, it's it's a it's a discussion that, that that's going to be had many many times as we move forward. Unless, of course, Johnny Sexton is unfortunate enough to um, to pick up a, a season-ending injury. But even if he does, it's still the same conversation. Who's he going to turn to, and how's it going to go? Uh, I I don't know. I mean, you go out against Japan, New Zealand, and you want to put your best team in the pitch, and he is the best ten. And I mean, you know that that's it. Why on earth would you want to do anything else at this juncture? Um, you wouldn't, particularly as he's, your, as he's your skipper and one of your key, still your key players. But it's it's also, it's beyond an Achilles heel now. It is a sort of situation that's waiting to go very badly wrong. And we don't really seem to have, you know, the, a, a, a particularly obvious um, alternative here. 
Yeah, I, th- I think the bigger concern from this is not Ireland's over-reliance on Jonathan Sexton. It's where that over-reliance comes from. And that's from the other three provinces. Nobody has produced a fly half that is anywhere close to replacing Jonathan Sexton. Because we're not coming into camp here saying Johnny Sexton is our number one fly half, but we've got two guys who are really pushing him. It's Jonathan Sexton is our number one fly half, full stop. So it, it, it's, not, it's not even like Ireland are unhealthily over-relying on Jonathan Sexton in the, to the detriment of other options. It's Ireland are unhealthily over-relying on Jonathan Sexton because they have to over-rely on Jonathan Sexton. Like if you put Carberry in for that All Blacks game, would you be confident that he would lead them to the victory in that game? not anywhere close to as confident as you would be as if it was Jonathan Sexton steering the ship and the same with Harry Byrne. So to me, that I, I don't know if that can be solved by playing them in inter- international games. It will help, but will it, will it necessarily solve the problem or are Ireland just facing a situation where their fly halves need to be showing more at provincial level first? Well, I suppose any card-carrying members of the Joey Carberry fan club that are out there will point out that it was him who saw the game against the All Blacks in Soldier Field in 2016 after Johnny Sexton gone off. Um, but, Michael, by saying that Carberry is your backup 10, that means that Carberry is not your fullback. If you have Bondiaki at 12, as good a player as he is, he's not a playmaker. How much of the reliance on Sexton is due to a lack of other options at 10? And how much of the reliance on Sexton is a different kind of dependency that comes from him being the chief playmaker and perhaps even sole playmaker in the back line. And is there any way that we can fix that over the court or make moves to fix that over the course of the next three games? I, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of argument in that. He, he, he is such a quality operator and he is, if you like, the, the you know, the fulcrum of the side. He's, he, he is the man who makes everything work. But of course, you know, he could have Robbie Henshaw inside him. He was fit and he can maybe take on a little bit more of that playmaker role that Bundiaki maybe can, cannot do. But clearly, we're not, yeah, we're not seeing that here because we don't think Robbie Henshaw is necessarily going to be playing in any of these games. So we still around camp and getting treatment. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that, that it's true. But then again, you know, um, Sexton is such a, a quality player um and again you know what we had before if you look back to when Ronan O'Gara was phasing himself out and Johnny Sexton was coming through we had one quality player going out and one quality player coming back you know coming in and and, and taking that taking that position um we don't seem to we, we haven't had that here before uh sorry we haven't had that this time we're not getting that we're not getting somebody coming through and being able to lay adequate claim on the shirt, largely, presumably because uh, Carberry's injury issues uh, have, have, have got in the way of that. As you rightly point out, he, he did close out that that game. Uh, but that's like saying sort of Andrew Conway played well in the World Cup. That was then, you know, this is this is now kind of thing. Um, yeah, it, it is it is it is a problem. So, they're so reliant on him, so reliant on, on every aspect of what he brings through his distribution, through his line kicking. You know, through his place kicking, it, everything, which is why I suppose there was some surprise, even eyebrows raised, that he was prepared to take on the captaincy as well, because it was the thought thought process at the time that this may well be simply too much for you know on one man's plate. 
but he has it all on his plate. And as such, it's a strength, but it's also, yeah, a weakness because you look around and there is there aren't other players necessarily in the position to back him up or even to, to perform some of the functions that he performs on the field. And that is indeed uh, a very fair point and quite a problem as well. Um, I don't know how you go about fixing that uh, because let's face it, when he does go, um, who is or who is in a position to play like him and to take on all that responsibility? There'd have to be some dilution, presumably, for a while. But he seems to have, if you like, amassed more and more as he's gone along. And you would have thought it would be getting less now, wouldn't you? Because of the stage he's at in his career. Um, I think that's actually very worrying. <laughs> um, and I don't know how they go about fixing that at the moment. They need to get... You know, that playmaker outside him or somebody anyway taking on more responsibility. I suppose you could argue Conor Murray does that to a degree with with, 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 with kicking and so on and other decision-making. But fundamentally, yeah, they're so reliant on him that it is rather worrying that they need him so much to do so many different things. And bear in mind that if they want to get Craig Casey game time as Conor Murray's heir apparent, you're probably wanting him to play with Johnny Sexton because he's already got that provincial link with Joey Carberry that you don't really need to further because they already have it. You want him playing with Sexton and therefore you're either going to have to start Casey and Sexton together or you're going to need Sexton to keep playing for a bit once Casey's come on off the bench if you start Murray. So just to add another bit of complexity to the selection dilemma. And to add even more complexity to that, that, your 2023 World Cup scrum half isn't even in the squad because Nathan Doak's still with Ulster. Just, just a point on that. If you are talking about the 2023 squad, why have you not called up Nathan Doak, even as a development player, after the start to the season that he's had? Why do you not have him in the squad? Because he is legitimately a contender to be in that, uh, to be on the plane for the World Cup. That, to me, is a massive oversight. Like- I guess it has to be about reps. There's only so many reps for a specialized position like scrum half to get in training. So he might just be standing around watching. So we have a few listener questions just to finish up this week. Um, Staying with the international theme, but interestingly moving on from Ireland. JW wants to know, what are your thoughts on Bradley Roberts getting called up to the wheel squad now? There's so many different elements to this, I suppose. Um, Michael, so I'll ask, what do you think about Bradley Roberts becoming a Welsh, or potentially becoming a Welsh international over the next couple of weeks? But more specifically, what do you think it means for his Ulster future? And perhaps what even it means for the Ulster future of John Andre, who we haven't yet seen this season because he's been behind Bradley Roberts, who presumably is now looking for a move to Wales. Well, I think, you know, it blindsided everybody, didn't it? Nobody really saw that one coming. I think probably, in like Peter Nelson, either we'd forgotten or we didn't know that there was any possibility of, a you know, Pete's uh, situation, a Canada connection. Um, of course, if you just looked into Bradley Roberts, you would see that he'd already played there and there was a link to the paternal grandmother. Um, and clearly he he's very happy, as, as you would be. You know, a, a, a test team comes along and said, would you fancy it? And he's gone, yeah. So he's gone over them. Um, the understanding is he stays, and as such, he may well be capped in one of their tests 
Um, if he if it, if it is true that he's staying, the likelihood you would think would be maybe they give him a cap against Fiji or something like that, and then that's it. He's locked in there. I would say, yeah, that will very much shorten his time at Ulster, I would think, if he does get this cap, um, and that he probably will shift over to Wales, because if they're interested in him in any way, um, as a test player, I would say they will they will they will offer him something to go over and he will go. Um, for Ulster, it's um, it doesn't look it doesn't look well. It, you know uh, the choreography doesn't look ideal. You're in the Irish system. Ideally, you would you know qualify for Ireland, and um, the Welsh have stolen in there and dangled this in front of, of 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 Bradley Roberts. And for John Andrew, who hasn't been seen, well, you'd imagine that he suddenly finds himself potentially coming. <laughs> up again in 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 the stakes um unless somebody like tom stewart comes through um after this season but um certainly if bradley roberts plays for wales and even maybe even if he doesn't play for wales it would appear that this future at ulster is probably not going to be in the long term you would wonder then of a paradox adam that a player becomes an international or shows the form to become an international and instantly becomes less valuable to his employers. I guess we're going back to, off the top of my head, but Simon Danielli, the last time a home nations international was playing for Ulster that wasn't an Irish player. Mm. But it comes back to this idea of, are we trying to win a game today or are we trying to win a game tomorrow? So if you're Dan McFarlane, what are you doing? Having decided over the first five weeks of the season that Bradley Roberts is your second best hooker, to win those games. Like, what are you doing when Ulster play Leinster or Ulster play the Ospreys, knowing that you are now far, far more likely to be relying on John Andrew? He was one of Ulster's most consistent players last year, relying on John Andrew next year than you are going to be relying on Bradley Roberts next year. Mm-hmm. Million-dollar question, isn't it? Um, I almost wonder, do you make a clean break now? Do you say to Bradley, look... This, this could all be solved by Wales not capping him. By the way, you know, if, if he doesn't get a cap, he's still Irish qualified and he could come back and still potentially play for Ulster for the next five years if he doesn't get called up again to Wales. Equally, as soon as he gets that first cap for Wales, you as Dan McFarland know that you will not have his services beyond the end of the season. So if... I, I would say Dan is probably, if he hasn't already, he's probably desperately trying to get Bradley on the phone and asking him what his intentions are because if he wants to continue pursuing the Wales route, then I think it's best for all parties just to make a clean cut now and move on because as good as he has been to start the season, and Bradley Roberts has really impressed me. He has a real abrasive style in the loose that I don't think any of others Ulster hookers Ulster's hookers have. Um but I think just from yeah from the sake of long term planning, I think you try and make a make a clean break of it now. You say, look, you want to play for Wales, we'll let you go and try and pursue an opportunity in Wales. We'll stick with what we have with John Andrew, who as you say was one of Ulster's most consistent performers last year. Um I was surprised that he hasn't played this season so far. In fact, I've, I've worked out there. He's one of two Ulster forwards this season who's been available for all uh, all five games they've played and hasn't played yet. Um, so I'm surprised he didn't get, you know, at least one bench appearance, at least. 
Um, so you're, you're, it's not like you're cutting a guy loose and you're really struggling for options. John Andrew is a good option that you can bring in as a replacement. I think it does just work for all parties involved because if, if, if you don't make a clean break now, then you do have that question of how much do we play Roberts knowing he's not going to be with us next season because you can't imagine the IRFU sanctioning Ulster having an NIQ hooker uh, whenever they have one of the Ireland hookers uh, in situ. So, uh, yeah, t- tough call to make. But I think given that he he's not an established member of the squad, I think is probably the best way to put it. He's only been there a year. It's not like you're cutting ties with someone who has roots and has been there for 10 years or so. It's someone who it would probably suit better if they just decided now is the best time to amicably end our association. I, I think it's a right mess and from Ulster's point of view because Bradley clearly is going to go to Wales. He wouldn't have gone gone and done this. This, this. this is sending out a very clear message of where he sees his future. If I were John Andrew, I would have been under my agent before now and said, get me out of here, you know, and I don't care what Ulster say. You've left me out of all these games. I haven't been a part of the 23. I've been fit. I haven't had any game time whatsoever. Um, thanks, but no thanks. So you're coming to me now because you think you're going to lose Bradley Roberts? No. So it, it could end up very badly for Ulster indeed. Yeah, me, John. a situation because, you know, John Andrew, whenever it was, say, I think February time, just, just prior to lockdown, gave that really interesting interview that we've spoken about a few times before about the difficulty of not knowing how wanted he was for the next year at Ulster and then really turned it around, like we say, played so well the year before or last year. And then it has been one of, I think, one of the stranger elements of this season that he hasn't even, as Adam says, got a, you know, a solitary bench appearance just to sort of keep things taken over for him. It's like, it's not... Obviously, we're talking about vastly, vastly different players, but it's not a dissimilar situation to what Ulster found themselves in last year with Marcel Gutsia and Nick Timoney. You know, knowing that one player was going to be there the next year and the one wasn't. Now, because of injuries, we never really saw that play out because Marcel played so infrequently after it was known that he was going to leave. But it does put Ulster in a really interesting position moving forward. And that's just us looking at it from the Ulster perspective. Mm. It's fascinating to look at it from the Welsh perspective and some of the boys that are over there playing already who mm. have been overlooked. And then as furthermore, the fact that this is all just a product of a Ken Owens injury, otherwise none of this would have um, come to light, come to pass. It's a, it's a real butterfly effect situation. But as Adams pointed out there, he's still... Irish qualified until he's not Irish qualified, as it were. So, Michael, I think you said the Fiji game probably does look the most likely. I I, I don't think they've called him up for the heck of it. I I just don't think so. I I think there's some element of planning involved here. I just don't think they've picked his name out of a hat and gone, yeah, yeah, you know, he he could play for us. I, I, I think... I don't just. I just don't think it's. It would be. It would have been as random as that. As that, if it has been as random as that, then you have to wonder what on earth is going on. But I would. I would tend to to, to say there's 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 more structure to that idea than just a random situation. I'd, I'd, I'd say if you're Wales, you're capping him against Fiji, even if it's yeah. five minutes off the bench. I think you're getting him. You know. <laughs> it's not like you're stealing a premium player away, but you're almost saying we'll have him, not you, Ireland. And 
I think it's a, it's an interesting look on Roberts as well because he can't you can't blame anybody from going for an international call up. You know, if 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 you get a call from Wayne Pivac saying we want you to play for Wales, it's hard to turn that down. But also, yeah. you have joined Ulster with the intention of potentially working your way up through the ranks and playing for Ireland, and you're essentially jumping ship after a couple of months, which is well within his rights to do. But I'm, not, I'm sure the decision has not gone down well within Kingsman Stadium, that's for sure. Absolutely. And you might have said, well, why didn't they call him up? Said it was Dan Sheehan's been brought into the squad. You know, why mm-hmm. not have a look at him? That would have. But then I, I'm guessing maybe maybe they didn't know or maybe on the other hand, they did know. Uh, you know, we, we were really not sure uh, to what degree this may have been known that there was a possibility that he might gravitate towards Wales because, of course, he could have turned it down. He could have said, no, thanks. I want to stay here. Um mm-hmm. So we're we're not entirely sure about all that, but I think it's it, it looks fairly safe to say that they, they'll not have gone to the trouble of calling them over, publicising it, putting a picture up of him wearing a Welsh shirt on the WRU site, and then just let him go without anything. It, it looks like he's in the system, doesn't it? You just get that feeling. Correct. Someone take that photo and Photoshop an Ireland jersey on it. <laughs> See if we can steal him. And that's not a Photoshop because he was over most of the week, by the way, before they announced it on the Friday. So he he had been there. Yeah, um, I can say it could, it could be one of those situations. Was it uh, was it Ben Teo? Did we have in various uh, uh, various different jerseys a few years back? A Jack Grealish, Declan Rice situation. But um, I suppose it is important to note that he maybe he would be well within his rights to feel more Welsh than he feels Irish. Obviously, because he it's Welsh ancestry, and he's. Would only qualify on for Ireland on the basis of special dispensation because he wasn't here for three continuous years because he went home. So that's another element mm. too. But I think in yeah. general, what it does show us is he was a hell of a lot closer to getting capped by Wales than he was by Ireland than any of us ever realised. Because yeah. you know, you look at the depth of hooker in Ireland, and I think it would have been tough to crack that unit in general. But um. We'll move on to a few more of our listener questions just to finish up. Big Jim says, first of all, give us more time to respond, which I can only apologize for. It's my ruling the podcast with a third a third Terry and Iron Fist and making us do it early in the morning. Is there a problem here? Um once Gareth I'll, I'll take killed. I'll take the blame for that one because I'm in charge of social media this week and I decided to send it out at half past nine for half ten recordings. <laughs> Well, we all know that Adam is on a different clock to the rest of us anyway. So the fact that I made him record a podcast at half 10, we should just be happy that he's here, quite frankly. But the rest of his question, I asked this last year and I didn't think anyone knew, but do Ulster have a sports psychologist? If not, why not? Most of our problems are mental. Well, I suppose, interestingly, in relation to the question, they didn't have one. Last year, it was a post that they advertised and filled over the summer, so they do have one now. The official title of the post is a lead performance psychologist. Now, Adam, it is something that we've spoken to Dan McFarland about a few times and different players about a few times during the course of this season, but I guess it is one of those things that probably the proof is in the pudding later down the line when we hear just how many players and how often this is being utilised. Yeah, I think it's 
something that we know has become so much more important. And this sort of stems back from what Dan was saying last week about how they don't perform well when they're favourites. And that's where you want the psychologist to come in and work on players' mindset going into games, um, work on how they're feeling, how they're coping with certain aspects of of the game. We're seeing a real trend now in sports people where they're taking breaks for their mental health. And um, obviously mental health is such an important thing, especially over the pandemic. So it's just very interesting that they have taken that step towards really addressing the mental side of the game because as we touched on last week if you cannot perform whenever you're expected to perform on the pitch then you're not going to be able to lift trophies or lift silverware and that's ultimately where this team is wanting to go and other teams have utilized it to the extreme and it really works so it's not a surprise to see Ulster going down that road. It's a very important role now uh, within a team. So for, for Ulster not to have one for such a long time is actually quite a surprise because of the role that they do play within teams now. But they've now addressed it. So I would imagine one of the things that they will be working on is that mentality of trying to perform uh, whenever they're expected to. And just our final listener question for the week has come in from Peter Lockhart. Fairly open-ended. What are your thoughts on Matty Way? Well, hey, that's it. There's nothing else as to what what he brings to the team, I guess. There's nothing else to the question. What do we think? Yeah, Matty Ray. Well, I mean, my, you know, what, clearly he, he brings an element of physicality to the team. He brings a line-out presence to the team. Um, he's been doing okay. Um doing okay up to now. Um, I think he can also, am I right in thinking he could cover lock as well? I think mm-hmm. he can. Um, Skills Cup winning lock? No less? Yeah. Okay, yeah. All right, Jim um, Neely. Yeah, <laughs> the new Jim Neely. Yes. Beat uh, um, Ian Henderson and Stuart Holdings BRA in a final. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, is he is he is he going to be part of the front line back row when uh, Vermeulen comes? Hmm. We don't, Possibly, yeah. You know, possibly, yeah, because you know he, he does some on scene work. He he wouldn't be the most you know eye catching of players, but he's he's constantly working, and I think it's really his physicality and size and as, as a lineout option, which is uh, what re- what is really going for him. He's I don't know what Adam squ- thinks. But, you know. Yeah, he's he's the kind of squad player that. I think every team needs the guy that's going to give you consistently good performances to get you through those zebra games, the Benetton games. Um, and then he has the potential to produce some really good performances. Like I remember at the start of last season, the the season played during the pandemic. Um, he started the season really well. I think he was man of the match against Benetton the first game of the season and then put a string of good games together so he he is a guy who whenever you allow him to play consistently he will produce a high level of performance um I think the question probably pertains to is, is there better for Ulster I mean I like I, I don't know what way Peter is is approaching this question but um, I guess certainly, you know, you guys free reign to, uh, yeah, to go with whatever um, you think, you know, like don't, don't be guided uh, by the question, just be guided by uh... 
Well, I mean, great, great guy. Any anytime he's spoken to us, he comes across as a very great guy. He constantly asked about his uh, his link with Marcus because they are brothers. But um, look, like, well, like, he, like that's an interesting point because let's you know talk about somebody like Marcus because Matty Ray strikes me anyway as a player that there's an awful lot of focus sometimes on what he isn't rather than what he is, and people are always looking you know, for the next guy who's going to come along and displace him. But to date, and we'll include Marcus in that, nobody has. Because if you look at Mm -hmm. the selections this season, you've got Dave McCann, who has banked a lot of minutes, played pretty well. I think we'd all agree on that. Um, Nick Timoney, who is Ulster's best back rower. Then you've got Sean Reedy and Matty Ray. So within those four guys of their, the ones that are available. You have your first choice unit at the minute. Now, Jordy Murphy's going to come back into that whenever he's fit. Dwayne Vermeulen's going to come into that whenever he arrives. But what Matty Ray is offering for the type of player that he is, uh, and I think it's fair to say that that is not in Ulster's first choice back row when everybody's fit and available. I think he's improving as a player. I think he's taking more ownership in terms of you'll see him pop up with a lot more carries and things like that. But, and I'd be curious to know what you guys think. I view him, like I said, as one of those players that people are always pointing to being like, well, why can't he do this? Why can't he do that? But that's not his fault. That's not the type of player that he is or the level of player that he's probably going to be. You know, he's not going to be Dwayne Vermeulen. Well, talk about something that he is and Michael mentioned this, is he's a fantastic line-out option. And whenever you're able to take that pressure off your locks, it allows them to be a little bit more free whenever they're not having to worry quite so much about that aspect of the game. If you can put a little bit of that on Matty Ray, it allows the likes of Alan O'Connor, Kieran Treadwell, uh, Sam Carter to be a bit more uh, open in other aspects of the game. He's not in that first-choice back row whenever everybody's fit but he's a guy that you can plug into blindside and also have enough options that most of the guys that they would have playing blindside would be able to switch to open side or not he's a guy who you know will give you a consistent performance and that that's what you need every squad needs a kind of guy like that absolutely well that is just about all we have time for today because we are fast approaching everybody's favorite time of the day which is ireland zoom call time so we will be back next week. Um, I will again be hosting because Gareth will again not be here. Um, we'll be looking back at Japan and looking ahead to the visit of the All Blacks. So from myself, from Michael, from Adam, thanks for listening.